Uh, Jackie's going to come and read to us. Um, look, today we're going to be looking at, I'm going to do a bit of an overview of the book of Philippians, and uh, Jackie's going to read the first chapter of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1, if you'd like to open that up in your Bibles, that'll be top, tops. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. And uh, Philippians chapter 1 is on page 830 in one of the Bibles, the one that's just got Holy Bible, and the other one that has the frame around Holy Bible is page 1178. It's nice looking down here and seeing everyone. It's great. <laughs> Some people are who aren't always here are here today, so that's lovely. And we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, page 830 in one Bible, page 1178. This is a lovely chapter, and you just notice how many times joy is written in the chapter. And rejoice, yes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, 
whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for giving us your word and your spirit. And we pray now that uh, your spirit would take your word and would uh, inform our minds and transform our hearts, uh, that we would be more the people you would have us be. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one Saturday morning, I woke up at, at about five o'clock with a, with a splitting headache. And so I got up out of bed, made myself a cup of tea, and switched on the television. Bad idea. Bad idea. Because uh, there on the screen at five o'clock in the morning, invading my lounge room was the televangelist, <laughs> raising funds for his $20 million private jet. And uh, <clears throat> so they had a promotional video that they were showing which uh, uh, showed scenes of this uh, so-called evangelist uh, preaching to crowds of many thousands of people in uh, all sorts of world cities, and then they would, uh, you, know, you know, cut in with uh, scenes of this uh, this jet soaring through the clouds. And one of the um, uh, one of the things that he 
would talk about would be partnership. I mean, if you're going to reach the gospel, uh, if you're going to reach the world with the gospel, you need to travel in style, don't you? Uh, you know, you, you shouldn't have to fuss around with public transport like ordinary people. And so you could partner him in this. And all you needed to do was send him your credit card details. And you too could be his partner. Now, what sort of partnership is that? What sort of partnership is that? You know, friends, today uh, we're, we're moving out of the book of Acts uh, just for one Sunday, um, where, if you recall, last week we learned about people becoming Christians in a city, was the city of Philippi. And uh, so instead of pursuing Acts again today, what we're doing is we're, um, we're going to dip into the letter that the Apostle Paul later wrote to the people who heard the gospel when he evangelised in the city of Philippi. And this is a letter, uh, the letter to the Philippians, which is all about partnership. But it's a, a very different type of partnership to the send in your credit card details so I can soar through the clouds in my private jet. In fact, if you open up your Bibles at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, um, partnership is the theme uh, which Paul introduces right at the very beginning of the letter. Now, let me just read to you from verses 3 to 6. Uh, he says to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is Paul introducing his letter to the Philippians. Now, did you notice in that that he mentions there are two days which Paul mentions uh, in the introduction? Uh, first of all, he talks about the first day and then he talks about the day of Christ Jesus. Now, these two days, the first day and the day of Christ Jesus, actually help us to understand uh, what partnership, what gospel partnership is all about. So what does Paul mean by the first day? Well, in verse 6, that was the day uh, when Paul tells the Philippians that God began a good work in you. Now, over the past couple of Sundays, we've seen how Paul and his co-workers were the first ever travelling evangelists. And uh, no private jets in those days. They travelled by, by donkey. They travelled by uh, foot. They travelled by ship. And they took the gospel further than it had ever been before. Into Europe. Into Macedonia and specifically into the city of Philippi. Now, we actually don't know how many people were converted uh, in Philippi uh, when Paul and his co-workers visited the first time. But uh, you recall from last week that Acts chapter 16 tells us um, three wonderful stories, doesn't it? 
Uh, it tells us the story about the businesswoman, uh, Lydia, and her household, how they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it tells us the story about the, the slave girl who had been possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and how she had been freed from her demonic um, uh, oppression. And uh, we, we heard the story about the, the prison warden, didn't we? Um, commonly known as the Philippian jailer, and how him and his family came to put their trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the end of Acts chapter 16, we saw that a baby church was born. But so too was a partnership. Now, Paul's visit to Philippi um, happened um, somewhere between um, 50 AD and 52 AD. So approximately 51 AD. How do we know that? Well, we, we know that because in Acts chapter 18, just a little bit later than that, uh, it, it refers to two political leaders at the time. And we do know from civil records what years those particular leaders were leading. So Paul's visit to Philippi happened around 51 AD. But this letter was written most likely... 10 years later, about 10 years later, and Paul is in prison again. This time uh, he was in prison in Rome where he was awaiting trial. How do we know that he was in prison in Rome? Because there's several other places that he could have been in prison. Um, <clears throat> he could have been in prison in Antioch. He could have been in prison in Ephesus. Uh, but um, it seems that he was in prison in Rome. We know that because at the very end of this letter, he sends the Philippians greetings from some other Christians, and amongst those, he tells them that the, uh, the brothers and sisters who belong to the household of Caesar, they send their greetings to you. The household of Caesar is in Rome, isn't he? He's in Rome, in the heart of the empire. Now imagine the Philippian Christians, they're, they're, they're gathered around in church and they're listening to this letter being read to them for the first time. Perhaps Lydia, a, a decade older, and some of her family. Um, the, the, the prison warden and uh, his family, maybe even that woman who had been freed from satanic oppression, uh, along with others who heard the gospel from Paul in uh, that first visit or in the second visit that he made to Philippi, and others who'd heard the gospel through others who'd heard the gospel through Paul. And how does Paul describe them? He describes these people, as he writes to them, as partners. Partners. This is a partnership which began when they heard the gospel a decade earlier. For in verse 6, he remembers the first day when God, quote, began a good work in you. Partners. And that's kind of how the Philippians thought about the relationship as well. And last week we saw that when Paul and Silas um, left prison, 
<clears throat> remember that they were escorted out um, on the, the next day after the Philippian jailer had become a Christian, the earthquake and all of that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> when they were escorted out of prison, they, they went to Lydia's house where the new Christians were gathered and they spent time there encouraging this, this new church meeting in Lydia's house and then they left, they left the city, they were asked to leave the city and they left and they took the gospel to the Greek city of Thessalonica and which we're going to hear a bit more about next week when we go back into the book of Acts, into Acts chapter 17. But did the Philippians forget about Paul when he left them? Was it like, Paul, it was nice to meet you, um, see you later and have a good life. No, it wasn't like that, was it? Have a look in, if you, can, you, can you go over to chapter 4 for a moment, to chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you from verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel... When I set out from Macedonia, that is when I left you, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was with you in Thessalonica, uh, when I was with, for, rather for when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid to me again and again when I was in need. You see that uh, far from forgetting about Paul, they actually supported him financially as he took the gospel further out into the world. Um, in verse 15, he says that they did so since, quote, the early days of their acquaintance, not just with Paul, but their acquaintance with the gospel from the first day. Um, and so this is partnership, which is, which is all about the gospel. It's gospel partnership. It began when they were saved by the gospel, and, it, and that's the first day. But back in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, um, Paul speaks of another day. You see, God began the good work in them the day that they heard the gospel and Paul says in chapter 1 verse 6 and God would continue to do that good work in them until the day of the Lord Jesus until the day that Christ returns now um, there's an old saying um, it's not how you start the race it counts it's how you finish it and this is so true here and as gospel partners, the Philippians and Paul uh, were committed to helping one another to finish the race. So how did the Philippians help Paul? Well, I've already mentioned their financial support, um, but their financial support uh, was really a reflection of something deeper and was a reflection of their love for, for the gospel it was a reflection of their love and their care and their concern for the messenger of the gospel, for Paul. 
And so therefore, because they have this love and care and concern for Paul, uh, you can imagine just how concerned they were when they heard that Paul was in prison, that he's in jail in Rome. And so Paul writes to assure them that his imprisonment is actually a good thing, that it's actually good for the gospel. Um, Go back to chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. That that's why I'm in prison. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of my chains, he goes on to say, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Imagine that. Now, can you imagine back in Philippi, this letter's being read in the church and the Philippian jailer is sitting there in the pews and uh, they wouldn't have had pews in those days, but you know. um, But you imagine the Philippian jailer, you imagine what he would have thought when he knew that, that Paul was in jail again. I reckon he would have prayed, don't you? I wonder what he would have prayed for. An earthquake, perhaps? <laughs> I reckon he would have been praying for the guards, the people who worked there, the people who were... Because he would have been praying that they might, just like him, hear about Jesus from the lips of their prisoner. I reckon he would have. And now, of course, um, it's one thing to say that you know, we're concerned for someone, but partnership means action, doesn't it? And knowing of Paul's situation, the Philippians did take action. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 25, Paul makes reference to a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus uh, is a man who's described as a fellow worker and a, a fellow soldier, uh, a, um, a, a guy who's really in this partnership, boots and all. And the Philipp- he's, he's from Philippi. And the Philippians, knowing of Paul's situation in Rome... They sent Epaphroditus to Rome in order to care for Paul, to take care of his needs. And apparently Epaphroditus had become sick. Um, He'd become very sick. And uh, the people back in Philippi had um, heard about this and then they were concerned about Epaphroditus. But Epaphroditus had gotten well And Paul is anxious because he knows the people in Philippi are concerned about Epaphroditus. And so he he sends Epaphroditus back to them um, so that they can not be worried about him anymore. Um, Have a look at it. Um, If we uh, check out chapter 2, verses 29 to 30, uh, where he says to the Philippians of Epaphroditus, he says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. 
and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for me the help that you could not give me. Almost died, risked his life. That's partnership, isn't it? That's partnership. It's, and you can see the partnership with the Philippian church here that they've sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul and now Paul knows that they're a bit anxious about Epaphroditus so he cares for them and he sends them back. This partnership thing, it's, it's caring, um, it's, it's relational, uh, it's, it's more than just money, isn't it? More than just money. In fact, uh, Paul greatly appreciates their financial gifts. But you know what he appreciates more? He appreciates the love which motivates the financial gifts. That's true, isn't it? Sometimes. I, I was in church here just a couple of weeks ago and there was a, a couple who go to a church on the south coast and they've spent the last 12 months um, trying to help people that, whose houses have been destroyed by fires and whose lives have been you know, radically changed and people who need food and who need money and so on. Uh, that, the church that they belong to has a relationship, uh, supports some missionaries in Papua New Guinea and there's a little church uh, in this t village or town in Papua New Guinea that's been established through the work of the gospel, the church in Papua New Guinea sent aid, money, to the church on the south coast of New South Wales. And this guy is telling me this story. He's a big, burly ex-policeman. And uh, he, was, he was teary. Because $300 they gave, to, they gave to them. He said, it's not just the $300. It's the love, the support. Papua New Guinea churches sending foreign aid to Australian churches. That's called, it's love, isn't it? That's partnership in the gospel. And it's a far cry. And so Paul appreciates their partnership of which the money is an expression. Uh, in fact, in um, chapter 4, verse 12, They've sent more gifts to him and he thanks them for their gifts but he says, actually, I've learnt the secret of being content. <laughs> I've learnt how to be content even when I'm hungry. Thank you so much, though, for the gifts. That's an expression of love. And it's a far cry from the tele-evangelist form of partnership, isn't it? <laughs> Join my club. <laughs> Send me your credit card details so I can zip around the world in luxury for Jesus. <laughs> a far cry. But what about Paul's contribution to the partnership? You know, in prison, in another country, you know, you'd think that there probably wasn't very much that he could do in order to help them, and you'd be wrong, because in prison, there's plenty of time to pray. And in fact, Paul tells them what he prays for them. Come with me back to chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer 
This is what he prays for them. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, there's a whole sermon in that, isn't there? But friends, I uh, just want to make this point to you that, that what we pray for other people reflects what we consider to be important for them. It reflects our values and our desires. And so what does Paul pray for? Well, he prays for their knowledge of God. He prays for their, their love for one another. And he prays for their righteousness. And you know, as church, we, we partner with one another in that way, don't we? You know, we, we, we may not always know specifically what we need to pray for each other. Sometimes we do. That's why belonging to a, a growth group is really important because you get to share those things. Um, sometimes we know specifically what to pray for. But in your prayer times, I do encourage you to, to pray each day, to have a daily prayer time. Um, why not pick someone? Uh, or why not pick a, a household in the church and just pray for their spiritual growth, pray for their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, pray for their, um, their growth in godliness. I mean, I'm always encouraged when I hear um, people tell me that they've been praying for me. Do you find that encouraging? Um, when you hear people say that I've been praying for you, brother? You know, the, there used to be a man who would come and visit our... He lived, lived in Victoria. <clears throat> he used to come and visit us here in this church once a year when he was on holidays and uh, used to sit up the front row there. And every time he would say to me, Scott, I just want you to know that I pray for this church every day. Every day. How about that? I'm thinking, do we pray for our church every day? <laughs> That's a great encouragement, isn't it? And that's partnership in prayer. Now, secondly, Paul's imprisonment, imprisonment didn't stop him from teaching the Philippians. And so there's a lot of teaching in this letter, but I'll just point out a couple of, uh, one thing in particular. In chapter 3, he warns them against false teachers. Now, the big issue in the early church, particularly in the Gentile churches, uh, like in Philippi, uh, was that there were people who um, were part of the church who may have once actually understood the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ but had themselves been drawn into, into legalism and they were claiming that in order to be saved you had to put your trust in Jesus and you had to obey the law of Moses. And without the both you can't be saved. And if you're a man, that means circumcision. Circumcision. In, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul doesn't mince words when he describes these people. He calls them dogs who do evil. 
and who mutilate the flesh. Choice words. Choice words because remember that these people are teaching that Christ's death is not enough to save you. It's Christ, what he has done, plus it's what you do. That's Christ plus law. And so Paul takes the opportunity to warn them about these people. And finally, perhaps one of the greatest ways that Paul um, helps the Philippian Christians is through his personal example. Because Paul was prepared to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, think again of the personalities in the church. The Philippian jailer, Lydia, maybe the slave girl, and others. What did they see happen to Paul when he shared the gospel in Acts chapter 16? He went to prison. They saw him go to prison. And now he's in prison again because of the gospel. Uh, today, some Christian leaders teach that uh, God wants all Christians to be um, successful and prosperous and to have big houses and um, flash cars and private jets if you're a pastor because the leaders have to lead by example, don't they? <laughs> and suffering really ought to play no part in the Christian life. Chapter 1, verse 29. Let's dive into that for a moment. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It sounds like the Christians in Philippi were being persecuted for their faith, doesn't it? Perhaps even being imprisoned. And I imagine that for them being persecuted for their faith, if they had a leader who avoided persecution and lived no differently to the world, that would have been really discouraging for them, wouldn't it? But instead they were able to look to Paul as the example, uh, who not only was prepared to suffer for Christ, but could also see that in that situation that um, God had put him into prison for a reason. And it was because of that that the guards in Rome knew about Jesus. It's part of the the partnership deal, I think, uh, to lead by example and to be an example to one another um, because it, it encouraged the Philippians to stand firm as they too were copying it. Um, and which should also encourage us. I, I once saw a, a prominent Christian leader um, on television 
who was being criticised and ridiculed um, for, for his faith, um, for what the Bible teaches. And the way that he was being treated publicly, as I saw this on television, it really resonated, really resonated. Because it, it's the way that sometimes we can be treated. You know, when, when non-Christians maybe scoff at us, um, scoff at what we believe, or they, um, they dismiss us personally because of our faith. And it might be, you know, that, that antagonistic person at work, at the office or at the, or at the shop or the factory where we work. Um, it, it could be at school. And I've got to say, you know, to anyone, it's, it can be pretty tough at school um, when you're a Christian. Pretty tough. Uh, or it can be, could be that family member who um, just doesn't, want, doesn't like what we stand for and who we believe in. And so I saw this Christian leader on television, and I've got to say, he was being attacked, he was being mocked, he was being ridiculed, and he didn't back down. He stood firm, but he stood firm with grace with calmness and with truth. He spoke truth back, but graciously. And I remember thinking, thank you for doing that. That's partnership. And by the way, true tele-evangelism. <laughs> because every Christian watching would have been encouraged to stand firm for Christ when they experience the same thing, more privately. And it's just like the example that Paul gave for the Philippians. Now, of course, all of this is predicated on the, um, on the fact that we need to be people who are prepared to suffer for Christ. And we can do so because we know of how he suffered for us. When even though he is God, as Paul says in Philippians 2, that he humbled himself, that he became a man and that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross for us, for you and me, for our forgiveness, for our eternal life that God has begun a good work in us and promises to see it through to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus when he returns. The gospel. It's the only basis for our partnership with one another. Next Sunday, um, we're going to rejoin Paul and Silas on their journey as we uh, head back into Acts chapter 17, as we see how it was that they brought the gospel to the Greek city of Thessalonica. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the way that you are at work um, through these challenges that we face as Christians. Uh, we thank you, Father God, for the Apostle Paul, that he was faithful, that he didn't back down, 
because he knew the, the truth of Jesus and he knew uh, of his future. Uh, we thank you, Father God, that even in the situation being in prison, that people got to hear the gospel. And we pray for ourselves that we would be um, bold enough to suffer whatever persecution may come our way and in that context to, to see that you've not left us, that you are in control. Thank you, Father God, for the partnership we have with one another in the gospel. We pray that um, our relationships would be personal, would be loving, would be caring, and that we would be committed to seeing each other um, growing our knowledge of you, growing our love for each other, and growing our righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.